Let's review some films. Let's review some films. Let's review some films. Let's see what we gotta say. Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, episode three of the franchise Strikes Back, uh, the podcast where we uh, subject ourselves to every franchise that's ever been created. That's the goal. Um, I'm Steve. With me, uh, as always, on this wonderful journey is Tim and Winton. And hey. um, if you've got fears about COVID-19 that you can't seem to get a handle on, this is the episode that will help. Yeah. We are talking, of course, <laughs> about the apocalyptic uh, franchise 28 Days Later and 28 Weeks Later. This was so, a super fun pair of films to watch in the midst of a quarantine. Dude, and then the cover for 28 Weeks Later, the or the poster for 28 Weeks Later is actually a woman wearing like an N95 mask and her like <laughs> eyes are eyes are rolling back in her head like she's about to get the rage virus. <laughs> and it's it was very disconcerting to see that <laughs> when I was looking it up. So, uh with now with our new tradition, of course, uh you know, I did it uh at the end of the first episode and now we're going to start every episode with this. Tim is getting himself nice and drunk throughout this episode with a very special drink, and today's drink is? Today's drink is a creme de menthe. I think that's how you say it, creme de menthe, creme de menthe. And it is what they drink in 28 Days Later when um, they get to Brennan Gleason's apartment. Uh, turns out we had a bottle in the basement. Caitlin, my fiance, was watching it with me, and she uh, made a point to remind me that we had one in the basement when it showed up in the movie and informed me that was what I would be drinking for this episode. It's heinous looking. It is as heinous as it looks in the movie. It is very green. It is basically liquefied Andy's mints. (laughs) It is not good. I am on my second glass because it's weird. I think I'm just numb to it now. And now I like it. It's like a liqueur. It's like something that you don't just drink straight, which you may be drinking straight Listerine. We don't know for sure. (laughs) Yeah, it's very mouthwashy. Mouthwashy. It is 60 proof, which is nice. Okay. So. All right. Well, we'll see where this takes you. What what journey you go on here by the end of this episode. (laughs) So Tim's going to be getting wasted off of that. Uh, The next thing that we're kind of throwing here in the the uh, uh, as far as like a new tradition for each episode is that we're going to kind of take a step back and each of us kind of give some thoughts on the series as a whole. So Linton, since this was your baby, why don't you start with uh, giving us giving us your, you know, overall view of the uh, 28 series? I guess that's what we'll call it. The 28 series. It's a yeah. weird yeah, I think it makes name sense. for it. But yeah, we'll call it that. Yeah, I, uh, I pitched this to these guys of doing uh, what I was calling a two minute rundown. Uh, so each of us would dig into a series for about two minutes, just kind of talking Overall, what we thought of the entries and uh, for this series is only two movies deep, so we probably don't even need all that time. But for a later series, we'll probably be going like kind of uh, rapid fire. Uh, so that's the basic idea of it. So for this one, uh, 20 Days Later, uh, I think it's pretty solid, pretty good zombie movie. I think they're both solid zombie movies and better than many others that have existed. And I've watched many, many bad zombie movies. But pretty solid. I think the first one got really overhyped when it came out. Tim and I were in college when it did. And I just remember like a bunch of people talking it up and particularly one guy who wrote a film paper where he was insistent on how 28 Days Later did as much for film as Citizen Kane. 
And he told me this, he told me this at a party and I just looked at him like he was an absolute crazy man. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more later of why I think that that's kind of nuts. But and that, that man was Tim and that man was Tim. <laughs> and that's how we met. No, so uh, but the first one I think was overhyped. I didn't revisit it until uh, recently prior to all this these episodes, but like uh, for the pandemic, I gave it another watch and it it's solid. it holds up. I think the second one is a solid sequel. I think it push it does what sequels should do. It pushes the story forward. It does some interesting things. It doesn't just repeat the formula. It does advance the world and the story. It picks up with new characters. I think its biggest flaw is probably just that you aren't necessarily like latched on to a bunch of the characters, but I don't think any of them are outright bad. So overall, my assessment is pretty good zombie series. Tim. Yeah, it's pretty solid. Um, I agree with Litton in the kind of overhyped 28 Days Later, the first one being overhyped a little bit. Um, I didn't watch it right when it came out, but I watched it shortly after and I liked it, but I didn't think it was as good as a lot of other people made it out to be, though I do understand why it got overhyped because it like it's the movie that introduced fast zombies to the mainstream like fast zombies have kind technically existed longer like there's a movie called life force from the 80s where there are essentially fast zombies and like some underground stuff but as far as most people are concerned 28 days started fast zombies and kind of introduced the idea of it being a virus as opposed to just the reanimated dead so i can understand why it became such a touchstone but Especially rewatching it now, it is really good. I do like it. 28 Weeks Later is okay. Um, I don't think it's bad. It starts off really, really well. We'll talk about this later um, with uh, Don and like the beginning with him and his decisions. But it's just kind of, it kind of evolves into just a, I don't want to say generic, but like standard zombie action movie. And it's, it's, it's done well. It's serviceable, but... It's also, this is the first time I had seen 28 Weeks Later, and it's, a lot of it was stuff that I've, we've all seen a lot of since, and seen, bet like, uh, I don't know if any of you guys have seen Train to Busan, um, but, like, that yeah. is, like, that is, like, a high watermark for, like, modern zombie movies for me, and this came out before that, obviously, so it might be a little unfair, but, you know, it was, it never reach the highs of other zombie movies that I've seen since. So it's good. It's not bad by any means, but it was, it was just a so, so follow up in the end. I thought. Okay. First train to Busan is excellent. Yes, it is. (laughs) It is so good. And uh, I I would say this, I, so I love, I love the hell out of the first movie and I loved the hell out of, um, the first half of 28 weeks later, I was at the time, like when I was in high school. So I, I was, I think I was in high school when this, uh, when 28 days later came out and I was huge, huge, huge into like the Romero series to which at that point it had not been destroyed with like his later entries that he did for it. So I was just kind of operating off of the classics. And so I, I was won't very defend much... Land of the Dead. Sorry. But... No, I no no no. Okay, you're right. I was going to say something about Land of the Dead. It's actually pretty good. The other ones so are, Land... are are bad though. Yes, quite terrible. <laughs> we'll get into those at some point. Yes. But I just like I always 
in high school had a very big thing for 28 days later. And I think, I think looking back on it now, I think I, I can see like an, an overhyped um, critique of it. But I think at the time when it came out and it was like 2002 or 2003, um, I think it was 2002. 2002. So you're looking at a time where, and you're talking about like reintroducing like fast zombies, where I think the, the last time you saw them were, was like return of the living dead. And in the nineties, the zombie genre really, I don't think was what it eventually became in like the mid to late two thousands. And this was like the movie that I maybe set some of that in motion and really felt groundbreaking because of what it was doing with the genre that like either hadn't been done before or hadn't been done in a while. And I think for it being like influential in the genre, it definitely holds up a lot for me and for being, you know, you're talking about 28 weeks later being more of a generic kind of movie towards the end. This, this movie's not that much, different than it but it just does everything better in terms of the character work in terms of the tension that you feel in the movie um there's just a lot to me at least to just love about 28 days later and again like linton said 28 weeks later does a lot of really interesting things that push the story along and i think the first honestly i'd say the first half of the movie is some of the most memorable zombie movie work i've ever seen um i think it does 28 28, days or weeks 28 weeks later Oh yes, um, I agree. I think it does some really incredible stuff that you don't see in zombie movies, and then of course it kind of becomes a little more generic of an action movie. But I, I really like both these movies. I, I love Twenty Eight Days. I'd, I'd say it's a classic, and Twenty Eight Weeks Later is really serviceable. So I'm interested in uh, diving deep on these. Um, Starting class number three, by the way, guys. Oh my god, <laughs> Tim! Tim won't be with <laughs> this us. Is, much this is so bad. Tim's gonna go blind. <laughs> I I will uh, rewatching twenty eight days later. Like I like I said, I do think it got overhyped and overblown, but it is really good. And I will say, like you were talking about being a classic, I'd agree with that. I think what makes twenty eight days really good, and and you know the better of the two it's the strength of the beginning and the end. Like the beginning of the movie, after we find out that PETA is what ends the world, the beginning of the movie where it's just Celia Murphy walking around an abandoned London, like that was, that's like a really haunting image. And it's a really strong way to begin a movie about the apocalypse. And then the end, the climax. Also, that's, the- I would argue too, sorry to interrupt you, but I would say that too is like the first, I, one of the first times you see that. That's been done so many times now, but I think you're right in that like Cillian Murphy walking around in abandoned London felt very fresh it's when they very, were doing cool. it. I think, yeah, it, it, I, I think it's I been mean, done I, forever. Yeah. I mean, I think there's some other movies that have done that abandoned stuff. Like thinking back, like the last man on earth with Vincent Price and like the Omega man, but I don't think any movies before 28 Days Later that I can think of actually shot in recognizable locations. Because to be able to do that from what I was reading, so they basically like shut down some London streets for like a couple hours or a morning or something. And one of the reasons I read that they shot on SD camera, which I want to dig into a little bit later, is because they didn't want to have big film crews, big film cameras to deal with because they could only get those shots of Cillian Murphy walking around abandoned London, like quick. They had to go like, Oh, are we going to get this? And so they needed like yeah. camcorders so they could have like 10 people filming him from different angles, but they couldn't have done that if they had a ton of like film equipment and stuff. 
So that's kind of like it, the way it was shot was done by necessity. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right. That's probably the first time they've done it on a grand scale. The other one that pops to mind came a good bit later with I Am Legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so like the beginning is really cool. And then the climax in the like the mansion or the like estate house when they find the army is just like a fever nightmare. Like the combination of the the editing and the uh, cinematography and the music. It's just like rewatching it this time. I was just like, fuck, this is really good. I think I think the middle of the movie gets kind of like bogged down in more just kind of standard fare, but the beginning and end of 28 Days Later is just really, really good. Yeah, and I think, too, the, uh, you know, for 28 Days Later, it really, from a horror perspective, makes these, cre- I, get, I mean, they're not even creatures, they're just actually people who are just, like, psychologically changed, like they're not like I think that's what makes it work from a horror perspective is that they don't just come off as like Romero zombie ripoffs. It comes it's doing something different with it. I think treating it as a virus, which now um, thinking about it, because I was reading too that like that was part of the reason for making it a virus like this was that um, they're basing it off of like Ebola and the fact that, you know, what is one of the most scary things for the 21st century is a virus outbreak, which <laughs> we are now experiencing. I wonder um, what that's like. Yeah, gee, man, what could that possibly be like? <laughs> so they were like trying to base it as much in, in in like a grounded reality as possible. And I think that does come as, you know, maybe next level as they go with it. I don't think anybody's puking blood into anybody's face right now. But like and but that's such a visceral thing that these like the rage zombies do that like I, every time i see it I, I have like a reaction to it it's so disgusting um but i like it i will but say i think like oh good no go ahead oh i was gonna say like because this is a point i wanted to bring up on the rage virus aspect so like i said i i mean on the rewatch i enjoyed it more i'm gonna end up getting it uh at some point and you know like when i initially saw it i felt it was you know kind of overhyped but i still in the original viewing and this time have the exact same problem which is what kicks this all off, which like Tim jokingly said, PETA, which is like, all right, whatever. I don't care about that. But it's that when they break in and they're with the doctors and there's that monkey or chimpanzee like strapped to the table and, oh, yeah. and, they, and they, ask, well, they, they ask like, you know, the, the doctor's like, oh, you, you know, you can't release him. This is dangerous. Da, da, da. And it's like, well, what'd you, what'd you put in him? And the doctor says, rage. And, the monkey is like being subjected to like monitors of like people being violent throughout history in a very kind of clockwork orange Alex type way. And so what I don't like about it is the implication I feel that the movie is presenting is not we created a super virus. It's that we've literally distilled man's rage into a serum (laughs) and we put it into a monkey and now this monkey's going wild. Like, like, I mean, it's, I'm fine. You know, we're in a, we're in a sci-fi horror fantasy type realm with this kind of stuff, no matter what. But like, for me, the premise of how you got there is so much sillier than just, Oh, there's a viral outbreak that we don't understand. Or, there's, you know, like a rotting corpse, you know, got in the water supply or whatever reason you could come up with would to me would be way more plausible yeah. 
than what they present of like, we've literally distilled the emotion rage and we've put it in this syringe and that's what well, I will tell well, you. Well, you well, see, Lynn, the scientists were more preoccupied with whether or not they could. And they never stopped to think whether or not they should. Well, when I was re- and I, when I was rewatching this, I compl- I did not remember that there was a monkey strapped to a gurney <laughs> at the beginning of this movie. I, I was like, am I watching the right movie? Because I completely forgot that that part. Of, and, and what's funny about it is that, like, it, like you're saying, the implication is that they turned these monkeys into like what they became by instilling in them like you said man's rage but they don't really make it very clear that it's like a serum it's almost like because i know i think in a a graphic novel they explain that it's a mutated form of like ebola or something that that like i think in the in the graphic novel that spans between 28 days and 28 weeks they like have to explain that the virus was like uh, they were testing the Ebola virus on the on the chimps and that it mutates into what eventually becomes the rage virus. But at the beginning of the movie, you like, yeah, like you said, it's like, well, then why would you have why are they subjecting the chimps to like violence on TV? Like what what ends is that accomplishing? And so, yeah, it's almost as if then they were very aware of what they were doing or it's like the, to, the, even even if you would say they're not trying to make the claim that they're literally injecting them with the emotion rage, which is admittedly me just kind of being silly with it. But like my if I wanted to be generous to them, I would say they're doing some kind of experiment on the monkeys related to their biology. But then this biological experiment is somehow combined with this psychological experiment where they're subjecting them to like high stressors. It's like, okay, I could believe that a doctor, you know, some kind of crazy mad scientist might do this, but would that very pseudo scientific approach produce a virus that spreads like wildfire through man? It's like, you're asking me to believe a lot of things in this first five (laughs) minutes. Yeah. Right. I got to get on board with a lot here. And then it's just, but like what's, I think to the movie's credit, I'm very glad that they don't go any further into that. Sure. After, after, it's like, yeah. it's just like, you just totally oh, this forget about of, it. You're just like, whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah, the it's movies, like, um, this is how it starts. Don't worry. The movies themselves kind of forget about it too. Cause like in 28 weeks later, that at one point they're given exposition where they talk about how the virus hasn't figured out, like hasn't transmitted between species. But it does like that's how the yeah. whole fucking thing starts. It goes from <laughs> it goes from monkeys to humans. Oh, and yeah. granted, granted, I know that you know we're a lot closer to to monkeys and other animals, but it's still cross species contamination. Yeah. So so even true. the even the movies forgot that that was a thing. So it's fine. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> but like again, to, I guess to the movie's credit, it's like, oh, this is a pretty fun ride. I'm on. I'm not going to really look too much into this. Like because when I was watching with my wife, she was like, why? And this is always the question that I have about any zombie movie where they're fast. Is she was she's like, why are they so fast? They're like superhuman because they run like faster than even the humans can run. Yeah. And it's like, well, how? So Willie Mays again out there. Yeah, I was like, okay, whatever. But I mean, it always does add to the fear uh, element of it, and definitely makes it very. I think what's cool about this movie is that it makes it very clear that like with these uh, fast zombies or whatever you want to call them humanity would never stand a chance. Like the fact that they're that fast and that capable, like by 28 weeks later, they're able to like punch through wooden blockades, like of the, 
they like block out their windows with like wood paneling and the friggin' things can like punch through and like grab you through them. So all you got to do is starve them out. That's what we find out. They like, cause the Romero zombies are not like that. The Romero zombies just keep going until they literally like decompose, which I mean, should happen sooner rather than later too. But I think as far as the movies go, it's just kind of presented as like, maybe they're like, semi-preserved uh because they do eventually kind of like you see some in their marrow ones that are just like skeletony and stuff but but yeah these i mean you just you wait them out a few weeks and you're that's what i was saying earlier like brendan gleason should have just stayed in that apartment complex right. and he was golden <laughs> they still had they still had like two days worth of water in that fish tank so all you gotta do is go get a water run like they had food, <laughs> okay also they had it well defended so he here's, had weapons here's here's, well, here's a, the other Go ahead. Well, I, I have a question for you guys because throughout the movies, they make a point about like you go out during the day. That's when it's safer. Like, is it ever actually explained why that's the case? Like, because there, there's no there's no scene or anything in either of the movies where like like in I Am Legend or something like that where the zombie like tries to chase them into the sunlight and then like the sun starts burning them and they run back to the shadows. Like we never see anything like that. But I, we basically we're just told unless I missed something. Well, I don't think the movie addresses it, but I would say just logically if you've got a ton of zombies out there, you want to be able to see them because if you're walking around in the dark, anything could just be around the corner but at least if you're in broad daylight you can check your vantage point of like okay there's a big group of them there we need to avoid that and we do in the beginning of 28 suite later we see a bunch of them chasing people outside in daylight anyway so never mind i i'm stupid it's fine no it's It's a little no i mean it does make sense because like (laughs) well we've we've already established that the like kind of laws rules of this world are a little fishy as is so (laughs) Right, because these things can, like, hear superhuman, it appears. They can, like, still see incredibly well. And, and uh, you know, I, it is a little fishy as, like, the physics of what these things are. But th- th- I will say the thing that I do absolutely love about 28 Days Later, which I was reading, they, like, didn't initially even think this would be the case. But I think it fed really well in the 28 Weeks Later. So what Linton, you were saying, is the fact that they – they write it into this world that these things can starve and die. And so basically you just have to wait out the infection because eventually there's like, I, I mean, it's not an immunity, but like eventually that just runs out of people. And what is really cool about the 28 days later is that the entire premise is that they're in England. So they're on an Island. And I guess I never really thought about it as much until I rewatched it. But the fact that basically they're just like the rest of the world's fine because that really would be the case because things these things can like once you once you have it you turn in like tw- 10 or 20 seconds so there's literally no way it could carry across the sea or in the air and so i always i've always kind of like enjoyed that about this and i and i just after rewatching i i think i really appreciated it more that they added that element to it because it actually serves the sequel really well and gives it something to base it off of to where it's not just, I mean, the sequel ends with it going to mainland Europe, like you, we were talking earlier, but like, I think 28 days later, just like from a, and, and the, what's great about 28 days later too, is that the characters in 28 days later don't know that like to them, the world, the entire world has gotten it. Yeah. And 
I think at one point, again, talking about inconsistencies, I think Naomi Harris at one point mentions outbreaks in other cities. So well, I don't think they well, really they, so they that's, play, that's, that's something that I've actually read about uh, on, on like a, one of those like mistaken error, mistaken goof things. So they, I think she says something about like hearing of like outbreaks in New York or whatever, or they were like rumors. Before the radios turned off. Yeah, but then with, this is one of the things I think the, the first movie does really well from a story perspective because it is a pretty simple story but i think this is one of the better elements she talks about that and so cillian murphy who's just woken up from a hospital bed for all the fuck he knows like yeah okay the whole world's infected i don't know and the audience walking into it almost all zombie movies we've seen has had some kind of outbreak that just keeps spreading like even the original night of the living dead like you know, we're stuck with these people in the farmhouse, but there's reports going on in like Pittsburgh and like the, it's, you know, it's in major cities, at least there. I mean, it's at least like regional and spreading. And then if you watch the later dead movies, it's eventually takes over the entire planet is the implication. But yeah, then when they meet up with the soldier in 28 days, he puts out the idea of the, the rest of the world doesn't care about us. We're an island. We're locked here. They just, they're just not going to tell us that they're safe because they just want us all to die because, of course, they do because they don't want to get infected. So I, I think the movie plays with our expectations. And I think internally it's not addressed exactly until the very end when the choppers show up. Then this kind of the implication of, oh, that guy, that soldier must have been right. Right. Yeah, because doesn't he have? Isn't there a, like one of them has a line about like wanting to watch The Simpsons like yeah. everyone else in yeah. the world, something like and the that. Guy, and the guy yeah. says they are fucking watching The Simpsons or something like that. Yeah. And there he's and he's played off as being like an insane person. He's the sergeant where where they end up at the end in that kind of like mansion with the soldiers. He's locked up with Cillian Murphy because he's essentially like a psychopath they think because he's spouting off about you know the fact that yeah every, everybody else is cool but us and and so really though up to that point though in the movie you, you never what's great is you never know until like the very very end like if whether or not that's the case and like i would argue even the end is a little ambiguous because i guess you could say oh well i guess it's just another i get you know it could just be like another outpost somewhere that yeah. you know whatever but Maybe it was an infected person flying that plane. You don't know. That's right. Who knows? So, you know, it, it, there's that part of it, which is I, I do kind of like. Um, and then there's that point where Cillian Murphy is like laying in the grass or in the woods and he looks up and sees a plane flying overhead. Yeah. And it's really it's very interesting to see that because like, you know, it's just I, I you as he's sitting laying there and seeing it, you as an audience member, you're like, what the fuck is that? Like, why, why is that plane there? And yeah. you're, you're so invested in what I are, I would say 28 days later does very well is you're so invested in these characters that you're like, what is that plane? How do they get on it? And I think it's a very, it, it teases like elements of the outside world really well. And I, I think that's something that 28 days has really working in its favor that like 28 weeks later gets to kind of like utilize and start off with to where 28 weeks really only had one way to end and they they do that where it crosses the channel but i would say they handle it effectively mm-hmm. there were some um before we move on to talking about 28 weeks later there were some weird things with 28 days later that i noticed like really weird aesthetic choices 
that I did not understand. So like at one point when Brennan Gleason and like this, this makeshift family unit, you know, it's with everyone, they're driving past a field and the flowers in the field, like are like rotoscoped for some yeah, reason. I, yeah. I, I remember, I remember being taken aback when I saw that. And like, it's the only time anything like it's the only time there's any rotoscoping in the movie. And I don't know why they chose to do that. And similarly, when it they're, <laughs> it looked nice. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of pretty, yeah. But it was. It's also just kind of like I like. My first thought was like, it well, is something wrong with my eyes. So I, I, like, <laughs> I don't. I didn't catch this part, uh, Tim. But like, is it possible that it was poor video compression because they're moving the camera is filming something that's moving by quickly? Because I will say, I mentioned this earlier. That the movie was shot on like SD, uh, so standard definition. So, you know, we're used to see, which is like regular film. If you're watching like 2001 or The Shining or something, it's going to look, you know, uber pristine and gorgeous. And then modern stuff that's being shot on digital, like digital technology is just enhanced a lot since 2000. What did you say? One, two, when this came out? Two. So anything that's shot on digital is going to look way better. But this is like very early days of that. So this is like this essentially it's I don't know. I I mean I'm not an expert on it, but I know it's you're not watching what you would be watching if it was like a regular film. You're not watching I mean you're basically watching like a home movie, like maybe a high-end home movie in terms of the equipment that was available at the time. Yeah. We and were filming I, our we were filming sketches on the on the same Canon XL. Yeah, cuz like I cuz I read like when I was looking it up when I was watching them at like that what they bought it was for practicality sake of to be able to get those shots at the beginning to to shoot fast and loose. I think it works in the movie's favor because the movie's very gritty. It, you're dealing with like characters at the on their last legs kind of thing. Danny Boyle is just a good filmmaker. So I think he makes all of it work, but yeah, I think they're essentially working with kind of a top of the line, but still consumer camera, which is nothing like what you'd be doing if you were like shooting a movie legit. So what that leads to me, because here's the point I'm getting at when I downloaded this illegally to watch it, <laughs> I, you know, got like the Blu-ray version of it. And I'm looking at the quality of it and it looks like blocky. Like it does, like if you get like a really bad copy of a movie, occasionally it will look like that. And I'm like, well, wait a second. This is supposed to be like 1080p. What's going on? Is this somebody just like upload a really bad version? And so I downloaded another one and it looked the same way. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? And so that's what led me to dig into it. Um, Cause I knew that the movie was shot differently, but it had been so many years but I didn't know it was shot on SD. I didn't know how low level it was. But from when reading some articles from like professional people, they were saying essentially it's, you know, it's shot on really poor quality digital film, yeah. digital, <laughs> right. you know. And so it just like because people are saying like it will like you can put it on Blu-ray. It's going to always look like dog shit. Like it's just because it was shot to look bad. But I guess the last 10 to 15 minutes were shot on film. So, like, if you had a Blu-ray of this, you're watching on a big screen TV, there probably will be a noticeable difference of when you go from, like, 
oh, I'm seeing it in kind of like a really low res, ugly looking thing. And then once like Celine Murphy starts caving dudes heads in, it's like, oh, this looks really pretty. <laughs> yeah. I can see clearly now. So going back to what you're saying, Tim, I just wonder I, if I the don't... rotoscoping thing is possibly just like a video defect of because the cameras may be so low quality and they're moving past something quickly that maybe it's like screwing up the image that's getting recorded. I, I don't think so. I don't think it was that because it was just the flowers. It was nothing okay. else in the shot. So I, 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 I granted it, it was earlier in the week that I, I watched this. So I, I, now I feel like I don't want to say too definitively, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't just low res. Like it really did look like rotoscope to me. And then there's another point where they go to do a transition where it's like, the sun setting over the city. And so like you're on the shot and then like the city goes down and it's like a transition to like candlelight and like Celia Murphy and people just like sleeping in an apartment room and stuff like that. But it looks like they had like a picture of the city that they physically moved down Hmm. and it was in front of everyone else because before the movement, you can actually see like someone's face in the top left corner of the shot before it transitions. And I mean, maybe it was like, to me, that's like, I know you brought up the low res stuff and it kind of looks kind of crappy, but I don't even know if this would be that issue. Cause this is a transition thing. And if they were shooting on digital, that would be something that would be easier to do in post. But instead it looks like they were trying to like do an in-camera trick with the seam showing through. So like between that and the the rotoscoping flowers, it just there were two moments that like really jumped out at me. And like you said, like Danny Boyle is a good filmmaker, so it's not like it's someone who's just like this is their first feature and they're just trying to figure out how to use cameras and stuff like that. So, like I wasn't sure if they were if they were intentional things or if they really were things that just kind of slipped by. Yeah, but. It doesn't really affect the movie as a whole. There were, there were just like weird things that jumped out at me watching it this time. My guess is it's just Danny Boyle having a lot of fun with it. That would have, that that would be what my my guess is it boils down to is he's just goofing around with. It, it boils <laughs> down to. Whoa! I almost ah! made that joke, but then I thought, nah, I'm not gonna. Well, I'm on <laughs> I'm on I'm on number four, so it is I tr- will make I, that joke. I think it's turning your lips uh, green too. <laughs> oh, my teeth are absolutely green as well. <laughs> This okay, is one, this is staining my soul. Yeah, right. <laughs> one thing that I one quite, uh, last thing I have on Twenty Eight Days Later is um, there's a scene where at this point it's Cillian Murphy, uh, Jim, and then Naomi Harris, Selena, uh, Hannah, and Frank. And so the four of them are trying to get to this army outpost because they hear a, tr- a radio transmission. Um, saying, you know, salvation is there and that kind of thing. And they, they get into the t- car, the taxi cab, and they make like a little stop looking for food. And they just so happen to come across a fully stocked grocery store and like pack as much as they possibly can into the trunk of a cab. But if, but at no point, any of the characters are like, wait a minute, why don't we just stay here? <laughs> like, like we have food for years like they had they had a stash for years all they would have to do is go into an apartment above take it all and just go whatever building is above like whatever's above the grocery store or they or they pack the car and they go back to where they were which was like really well defended 
Um, and then they know <laughs> yes. that grocery store is there and they like take regular trips back and forth to it because like the way this whole thing is structured is that it's all happened within what the span of like a month. So a lot of zombie things that we've yeah. seen, like, like walking dead and that kind of stuff, like the zombies have been out for like numerous months or years or whatever. And so like you come across these places or like the last of us, another good example, you come across these places where like, there aren't these like giant places that have all this food and uh, provisions and everything. But because this is so happened so quickly, it's like, yeah, there probably are a bunch of like stock grocery stores. Cause a bunch, like most people are dead or they're zombies. Right. And so there wasn't a, there wasn't enough time to panic by. Stuff, yeah. And right. so like, Still yeah, so, paper. so you have, every, yeah. you have essentially everything you need right there. And then you have a defensible position and a defensible position that there's no reason any of the zombies even know you're there. Right. Yeah. All, I mean, yeah, all they'd have to do is, I mean, you could, you could consider, considering that, yeah, basically all of, all of what they would expect humanity to be gone, you probably could just live in the grocery store. Like, you wouldn't even have to be like, you could defend the, you know, put the shelves up against the windows and stuff. But yeah. like, basically, yeah, you're good to go. Um, and it's just like, it was like very jarring to see a scene where they were like, <laughs> Hey, look, everything we've always wanted. See you later. And then I get, they just like go off. On but the- I'm glad I they my, did because again, that- I, I would just say, I guess my gut instinct as a zombie survival fan, uh, is that I would not want to live in the grocery store because it'd be harder to defend with a lot more windows and doors. And if you have any humans that come across, they're like, sure. Well, we're going to murder you now. But yeah, if sure, you're in sure. that apartment and no one knows you're there and you go out every month to get as much as you can in that car, then you're good. Uh, so that, yeah. that would be my that would be my plan living in this. Well, that's world. basically what we're doing. I know. I was going to say, as I was describing it, it was like, <laughs> well, that's my life currently. So, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what we do. <laughs> but, we're, but we're also seeing in real life how many people just will not do that. So the movie kind of makes sense in that regard as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, no doubt things would descend into chaos pretty quickly. Uh, if things got more serious, but, but it's good that they did not do a sensible thing there. Because like I said, like when then going to that, like mansion estate house, like the, that last climax, that stretch of the movie in the mansion, when everything goes to shit is just, that is where to me, like 28 days later really comes into its own as a horror movie. Like it is just, like I described it like at the beginning, like it's like a fever nightmare. And I think that's, that was the best way I could like think to describe it because it's, it's very disorienting, but not in a way that's like, and I think this is a problem with 28 weeks later when we get to it, it's not super reliant on shaky cam and like really quick jarring cuts to like make you feel deep. Uh, disoriented it's just the the mood that they set with the camera work and the music and the lighting just like even though i knew the broad strokes of what was going to be happening when i was watching it the other night like i was leaning forward and like really into like what was happening and just how terrifying it would have been to actually be in that situation uh also the score is fantastic this yes. is like a really, really great horror movie score. The uh, that building, the main score that they use. I, I don't remember loving the score in total, but the main theme is a fantastic yeah. horror theme, and I would argue that they do an even better job with it in the second one because I've like downloaded both scores and listened to them in the past, and I think in the second one when Robert Carlyle is abandoning his wife at that farmhouse. 
they use that theme, but I think they like enhance it and I think it lasts longer. They do more stuff to it. So like it, it's yeah. like in a heartbeat, I think is the name of the song or the okay. piece, I think. But they use it. Was it the same? Was it the same composer for both movies? Um, I think the name, I think the guy's name's like John Murphy. Um, I'm not sure if he continued on or not. Well, I was going to say you brought up the the beginning of 28 weeks later. So if we want to jump into that, like. So Jet, real quick, John Murphy did do both scores. Okay. Oh, cool. So, but yeah, jumping into 28 weeks later now. I love the first act of that movie because like you brought up his character escaping the farmhouse and everything. What I love about the beginning of 28 weeks later and what I wish they would have strung out for more of the movie was they essentially take the the character that we have all been kind of programmed to hate in these kind of movies, the like cowardly character who abandons people to save his own skin when things get bad. And we, uh, the movie actually has us kind of identify with them. Like we see him interacting with people. We see the attack and we see like him in the moment making that decision And then when the movie starts picking up after that, like initial sequence, we are watching this character deal with the guilt of that decision and how he tries to essentially explain himself to his children for why their mom is dead and he's alive. And I just thought that was an incredibly brilliant thing to build a zombie movie around and I really wish the movie had kept with that longer than it did. Because, you know, by the end of the first act, he's dead. He's been turned because he kisses his infected wife because she's a carrier. She's not uh, going into a rage like the other zombies, but she's still infected. So then he becomes infected and is essentially, you know, they kind of carry it out in that he's chasing the children like the other infected and they kind of make him out to be a boogeyman. But it's still like, I would have, I would have really liked to see the movie really, really play with that like kind of survivor's guilt aspect for longer. Cause it was a really unique, interesting way to start out the movie, especially for a sequel. Like it very easily could have just been up more, more zombies got to get rid of them and just start the movie that way. That like, you know, the typical sequel itis kind of mindset. So I, it, 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 it deserves a lot of credit for starting with something like that. But then I also feel a little bit let down that they drop it. And then most of the second half of the movie, if not a little bit more is just kind of standard zombie action stuff. I think that's the, and I think that's the good and bad of this movie is that I think it was like a really interesting choice to spend half the movie, almost building up a character that you identify with and, are following because Robert Carlyle's character, Don is the main character for the first half of the movie. And to essentially just set him up as the, the reason that everything turns to shit in the second half of the movie. And then you essentially cut off the, the one character that you have an emotional attachment to. It's, it's an interesting choice. Um, It makes the first half of the movie really, really, really good because it's, it allows itself to take some, creative jumps that you wouldn't necessarily with like other movies where it's like, no, he's the hero and that's it. Um, It's like, what's great about his character is that you can, you can see why he does it. Like his wife goes back in the farmhouse 
for the little boy and she traps herself in the room and there's really nothing Don can do about it other than save himself. And, in and he a split, does. And he does. And in a split second decision, I don't know many people who can be like, well, I wouldn't also close the door if a rage virus maniac was about to like attack me. Like my instinct is to close the door. And if she made Steve, the choice to go uh, back for the kid, a new baby any moment now, by the way, but, uh, <laughs> new baby on the way uh, today, tomorrow, anytime. Every man hey, for themselves. Hey. <laughs> that to be fair, that was not his kid in the movie. That was Wait, just some. I was just commenting kid. on Steve's willingness to just leave his family behind at a moment's notice. Um, That's and and you know, I told my wife was watching that one with me as well, and I told her straight up as that scene was happening what I would do in that situation. So she knows the score, <laughs> and it was exactly that. <laughs> but and then and then and then when he's explaining to the kids like like the movie does a really good job shading him because like he makes that decision in a farmhouse and like you could argue that is a justifiable decision no when, doubt. because no but doubt. then he lies to his kids right. like he tells them like oh yeah i saw her die but again wouldn't you doesn't. do the same thing like you would do the exact same See, thing I, I, I don't, that, why why I don't, the second one i don't know i think the lying the, the the way he tries to explain it to his kids pushes it a little bit more again i don't think that necessarily makes him like a bad person but it's less defensible than him running away in the farmhouse i think i mean he and i think it gives it gives some nice contrast to his character he obviously thinks you know she is dead and that this will never come back he will never have to answer this because as far as anyone in this world is concerned once you get it you're done and so she absolutely would have gotten it because he left her there and he saw her through the window get grabbed so like as far as he's concerned he's never gonna have to answer for this but that said yeah, I don't know. I don't have kids, so I don't know in that kind of scenario. But I think you could – he could have not lied and, you know, he doesn't have to say, oh, I was a big cow- big dumb coward and I let mom die. It could have been we were trying to get out. Some, you know, one of these burst through the door. It was after her. I couldn't get to her. Like, I mean, there were there, – I think there would be things that you could say that wouldn't have been, like, outright lies. But he does It just, was all a blur. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think at that, I think you know, if you're a parent at this point, he's the only parent left. He just got reunited with his kids. I don't know if he would want to try and like, I don't know if he'd want to plant any ideas in yeah. his kids' heads. You know, I, I think it makes. I would argue it's not like, is it the most moral thing to do? Absolutely not. But I think in this context, like up for the character, I'm still on board with the character himself because I can understand. Steve, Steve's on board with lying to children. Hey, if it serves if it serves your end, that it's allowed. I can't wait. I can't wait for his kids to come across these podcasts one day. <laughs> yeah, it's going to change some things. Oh, Tim, you're assuming there'll be a society then. Yeah, these are these are going to be the only relics left. I, I do want to say one thing on um, uh, Robert Carvile's character, which I do think is one of the weaker aspects of the movie, because I hadn't really thought about the way you guys were presenting it of usually in these movies, this is the like, you know, the cowardly guy who gets bitten and doesn't tell people type guy. Uh, you know, I mean, he obviously didn't get bitten, but like he's that type, um, which I think is true that that they either consciously or subconsciously were probably kind of working off of that zombie trope. But yeah, I think that's uh, apt. The and presenting him, thinking about him in the context of like that he's 
an interesting character, a flawed character, and he's our primary character that we're following, is where I have an issue with the back half. I don't have a whole lot of problems with the back half, but he starts like stalking the kids and like oh yeah and like yeah he's like, like a boogeyman well like he's he's able to like follow them like he's you know it's 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 like a, J, a jason Voorhees or michael myers thing it's like you turn any corner and there he is when you know we we left him you know six blocks away kind of deal so he's just like supernaturally following them which kind of counters the way anyone with the rage virus has ever been presented as far as we're concerned. Cause they always just seem kind of like just rage filled maniacs. Like, I mean, he, like the one character that we were ever really connected to was Brendan Gleason. He warns the daughter to go away from him because he knows what's going to happen. But then once he turns, he does not seem to be in control of anything. He's just going at him, and then they have to like yeah. put him down but like the dad in this, like it'd be one thing if it was the mom because the mom was like shown to be asymptomatic or she was a carrier, but she was still like not quite human. She was still kind of like animalistic. Like that would be fine with me if she was presented as like doing different things. Where I, I assume both of you have seen Day of the Dead with Bub, where you had Bub was like a special yeah. case zombie where he was like the one smart one. And then they did it more in land with the like mechanic or his janitor zombie or whatever. But yeah, the dad, there's no special qualities to the dad, but he's seemingly like able to like track them, which is like, all right, I could probably roll with that. Like, you know, we're developing this series. We're two movies in, maybe they have enhanced smell and they can like tell. But my bigger issue is like, why? He's like not just like trying to get at anyone. He seems to be specifically targeting them. And it's like, is he trying to is the is the point the movie's trying to argue is like, is it all stemming from his guilt? And he wants to wipe them out because they know his secret. And like, if that's what the movie's trying to do, it's like, you gotta do this better. Like I need yeah. I need a better reason to know why he's even if he feels horrible and is guilty and everything. To me, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense of, I want to go murder my children now. And you could say, well, he can't control himself. He's this rage-filled monster. But if he is a rage-filled monster, then he shouldn't have the mental capacity to say, I need to track and hunt my children now. So the movie's like weirdly doing this, like he he can think, but he can't. And what are his reasons? What are his rationales? I don't know. I feel like the movie, because like when I was talking about the first half and like, you know, the guilt thing, like I said, like the movie kind of tried to, to thread that through the rest of it by having him be like a boogeyman to the kids. But within the rules of the world itself, it doesn't make sense. Like you said, I feel like it was the the attempt of the screenwriters or the, the filmmakers to try to make him into some kind of metaphor, but that metaphor doesn't really coalesce like it's just kind of it it feels like it's part of an idea they had to keep his his arc running through the whole movie but they never got beyond the initial thought of it and so it's just kind of there i think uh i think too what was more effective with that character was when um the little boy hallucinates him i thought that was scarier if you're going to keep his character in there as like yeah. a, a boogeyman, I think if he the kid just constantly hallucinates it, 
him in like certain settings and like you like he maybe sees his dad's face in like a different rage zombie that is, is attacking him or something i think that makes more sense because otherwise i do find i i did find it very odd that the dad always appeared in every situation like even at the end in the subway platform he's like apparently the only one left and like somehow survives you know a fire bombing and yeah. snipers and all this other stuff and it's just like i don't need that like the, well, the dad served his purpose and there's a there's there's a there's a specific point that i call bullshit on when um before they get to the subway when um rose rose burns character first off I would. I just want to comment on how surprisingly stacked this cast was. I yeah, had no yeah. idea. I forgot about a lot so, of them. Well, it's so, also Idris Elba before he got big. Like this is probably like early days of The Wire. I think. Yeah. So like, like, so we're watching and and I, so I'm like, fuck, is that Jeremy Renner? That's fucking Jeremy Renner. And then Rose Byrne, and then Idris Elba, and I, and then I can't think of his name, but the the dude from lost and the matrix sequels, the guy in the chopper the oh, helicopter. Guy. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that as part of a stacked cast. <laughs> That's well, just I, like, well, I guess dude. I'm just saying like, it's just a bunch of people that I recognize. Yeah, he from was, the movies in, that he I was had. in lost and he was on uh, Oz. So, I mean, he was on a couple yeah. of big TV shows at the time. So it was it like, just like I was not a, expecting to see a bunch of familiar faces in this movie so it was just kind of like well, oh, and he- um what's her face uh I'm gonna, is her name uh imogen poots who was this is that her name what who was it what uh how do you pronounce her name well, what character uh, she's the daughter okay i i mean i looked up that girl and it looks like she's she had been in a few other things she's I've, been in some I've stuff i've seen some stuff do you, literally pro- do you literally pronounce her name Imogen Poots. I I don't pronounce her name at all, I have so I don't no know. Idea. I could be butchering it to some like wild degree, but like I've she's she's becoming bigger. Her name her so- name's going to turn out to be Allison, and and Steve's sitting there. <laughs> oh no, dude, I, it, I'm, I'm not. I know for a fact I'm butchering it. I'm not. I'm not familiar with Adele her. Disease, her. Steve. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just I just she's been in some stuff like recently that I've, I've like she or she's starting to become more of a name in uh okay. certain things yeah, so I mean, she's been I, in like green green room she was in a few other things yeah i, I looked oh, she was up. in green room i looked yeah. her up because i knew uh i knew i had recognized her it was one of those deals where it's like i knew i recognized an older version of her because like he or she's you know like 14 or 15 or whatever it's like i think i've seen this face but different right and uh yeah i, I mean green room and there are a few others and there's a movie coming out that's been on my radar that i've seen her on like promos for called like vivarium that's like yes. where it's like yeah, yeah. it's like her and uh, what's his name social network man like going to some kind of creepy like plan Jesse Eisenberg yeah it's like some planned community it's kind of like a sci-fi thing that was like the one that I I haven't seen it yet but I kept seeing the poster and stuff so and she was in the uh, Fright Night remake remake as okay. well that I've seen a oh, bunch of times for some reason <laughs> but she is in it so. Yeah, I got a side check. Anyway, like, so there's, before they get to that, like, the final subway platform scene where the father is killed, there's, the, um, you know, Rose Burns looking, like, through the night vision, and they're, like, trying to get through the dark, like, subway station before they get to the platform, and there's there's one point where there's a shot where you see someone just, like, walk between two things, kind of in the background, and it's, like, it's, like, a very typical kind of, like, horror movie haunted house kind of thing like you know there's a figure moving in the background 
But that's not how the infected operate. They're not going for subtle scares. They're not going to be just walking past two pillars in the background. If they know you're there, they're not going to be subtly stalking you. They're running at you. And I, 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 you know, it's, it's not clear if that's supposed to be the dad or not. I assume it would have to be because he's the one who ends up attacking them later. But then it's, again, it's kind of like, well, you're not abiding by the rules of how these infected actually work. You're turning him into, like I said before, like you're making him into a boogeyman, but that's not what these movies are supposed to be. Well, the, and the other thing too, that I call bullshit on in the, at the end of this movie is that, so the way that this virus now carries itself to the mainland is the boy because it's alluded to at the in about the middle of the movie and like obviously you know this is going to be the case but the boy has the same genetic makeup as his mom and so he's also going to be a carrier for the disease and not show like the rage symptoms but the dad like tackles him at one point when he's on the subway platform and like bites him and so the I, i i'm fairly certain the boy gets bit obviously because it ha- it has to transfer the virus and so like this kid conceivably should be bleeding out on like out of his neck because he gets bit and so they just don't like the kid just gets up and is like oh i guess i'm okay now or he's like turning a little bit but you know in his eyes but like he's not actually turning so it's like it was like a very weird thing to to have the rage filled dad tackle a little boy bite him and not like shred his neck apart and he just seems to be bite. fine yeah it was just like, like, yeah, like, just like a little nibble but <laughs> like if i was the helicopter pilot at the end who's like taking these kids across the channel i'd like be like why are you covered in blood <laughs> like what is going on here well the movie um, does leave it kind of vague of how the mainland gets infected too i was reading up some stuff on this well, because wouldn't one, that be well one interpretation is that because like there's like debate amongst fans um, cause the I, kid goes over the mainland and starts making out with everyone. Yes. That's what happens. Um, <laughs> that's, that's Tim's slash fiction for 28 weeks later. Um, don't look it up. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, I was looking up like the, like 28 days later, like fandom site and yeah, there's some like debate amongst them. Cause when I got to the end, uh, yeah, I was rewatching it. I was like, okay, wait a second. How does it actually happen? And Essentially, there's like a few different possibilities that people put out there. One is that the kid has it and ends up transmitting it to someone. Another is that the girl might have it and she could have like potentially turned in the helicopter. Another possibility is that we see that helicopter, but that does not mean that like anybody bit anyone in that helicopter. It could have just been like they abandoned it. Something happened that we don't know because one possibility of how it gets there is just through the channel. I don't know if they ever establish what they did to prevent. I mean, theoretically they should have like blown that whole thing up. Um, but I don't know if the right. movie ever establishes what they did or didn't do. And then at the very end, you see uh, zombies coming out of like the French subway, which I was reading that people were saying, like if it was supposed to be the channel where they're coming at, out of wouldn't make sense. But that doesn't even explicitly clear it up because it's like, well, they could have come out of the channel and then just been like roaming, you know, like random French subways for day. You know, who knows? I don't know. But it was basically like I feel it's left kind of vague of what happens and how it gets across. To me, the the English channel makes the most 
sense. Obviously, the kid could kid could do something, but he would have to actively like infect someone. But I mean, I guess it could have been not kid. But I guess it could have been an accidental thing. But but couldn't he like? I would assume like I know they say blood and saliva, but like I would assume even like a sneeze. So like. I would assume that could probably transmit yeah. just as much. So, like, but it's not, I, it's I not airborne. They, they, they make yeah. a point of saying when it's not airborne, so a sneeze wouldn't be able to. I mean, it could be transmit. Yeah, but unless honestly, you're unless you're like sneezing right into someone's mouth, like right. from point blank, which he does in Tim Slash Fiction. Again, do not read it. <laughs> well, I think too. Like, I think because you see that it uh, open or closes on the helicopter. And it looks like it was just straight up abandoned. And there, it's like there's overgrown stuff around it. Yeah. And st- so it makes it look like they left it in a panic. And so it is very hard to try and reconcile. Like, why would this, like, I don't know, eight or nine-year-old boy, how would he How would he transfer it? Because if it can only be blood and saliva, like, how is it? Like, I mean, maybe, maybe, like, he kisses his sister on the cheek and, like, that. I, but I, it's just like I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't. I, it doesn't bother me that much. Um, yeah. Because I think like just the concept that it that that's what it took to get it over. And I guess it could have been over a certain number of years. Like maybe this is like a decade later. Although no, it it, it does twenty eight days later after that. Because at the yeah, end, yeah. It, so it's 20, 28 days after twenty eight weeks. Right. Okay. Or twenty. Is that what it is? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So I don't know. It, brother and sister kissing or something after 28 days being like, I guess we're the only two who understand each other. I guess we better start kissing. <laughs> well, she was about ready to just like commit suicide with like the ride or die mentality. After she, after he gets bitten, she's like, we stay together no matter what, even when he, when they still thought he might turn. So she was very willing to just like die or like be infected with him. So, yeah, that's true. Um, all right. So the second, so we've, we've talked about the first half, second half, you know, I think is pretty standard action, fair thriller fair. But what I will say is what, when I was watching this is, uh, Jeremy Renner is the soldier who abandons his post as a sniper to save and try and extract the kids and Rose Byrne. I actually was thinking like, there's a scene where he snipes a guy off of a roof on while he's on the ground. And because he's like an expert marksman. And I was thinking like, conceptually this would kind of be a cool hawkeye solo movie like (laughs) like if you had like if you put him in a situation where it wasn't just like the universe was at stake and it was just like hey you need to save like these people from like you know this rogue soldier force or he's going against shield or something and like he has to use his like one skill which is like marksmanship I actually think it would kind of be kind of badass. Like if you put him in the right situation, it would work as a solo. Marvel movie. call us. <laughs> yeah. I think Jeremy Renner's uh, casting himself right out of the MCU at this point, based on his uh, personal life. <laughs> he was supposed to get a, a black uh, or a Hawkeye uh, solo show, but uh, yeah, that's seemingly not been talked about a lot lately. <laughs> yeah. That suddenly went away. <laughs> um, but anyway, that, that was the one thing. Yeah, I, I, really, I think uh, them yeah. like escaping the other soldiers, I think it's a pretty good continued set piece. I think it plays pretty well. Um, I like when he's like trying to convince that guy to like go out and be bait and the guy like refuses, even though it means they will all die. And then that kid's like, well, I'll do it. Like, and I mean, the kid like recognizes it needs to be done. So like, I think that plays well. And like how Renner is in that scene, 
I also really like um, in terms of things I would like defend because I don't I don't think the movie's bad. I think it's like like if you're a big zombie fan, I would argue these are a couple of the better ones because there are so many just horrible, horrible zombie movies. I mean, these are like yes. pretty well-made movies on the whole, but I do like when they get locked in that parking garage because it's like you basically understand the motivations of the soldiers, but you're also yeah. like understanding if I was in there, I would be freaking out right along with those people and demanding those doors stay open. Like, so like, I think it plays right. really well. And then, uh, this is one point I was a little vague on. I feel I either missed something or the movie didn't explain it. Why do the lights go out? <laughs> Cause that was like a, wait a second, this is getting real bad, but is there a reason it's getting real bad? <laughs> I think I the way that I read it was when I was watching it was that like that's how the that's how they knew what like zones were uh cleared that like basically they were like shutting off zone 1 and like zone 2 and so like that was how they were like I mean I could be way off but like that's how I read it But wait yeah, that remember. was their signal to other places that signal to like their to like the NATO forces that if if it is zone was secured the lights would be off. Like but, that was how <laughs> I was reading it. Forgive me, but couldn't just a walkie-talkie message suffice cuz it seems like if you're cutting the lights you're putting not even just the people but yourself at risk of like they're going to be infected anywhere. So like shouldn't you just like be like calling your NATO guys and just being like, "Oh yeah, we got building 1 on lockdown. We're good." We're good guys. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying if, if that is what the movie's selling, then uh, that is a pretty big hole. They were just trying to trying to conserve electricity so when they're not in the zone, you turn the lights off when you leave. Uh-huh. I also found it very I also found it very, very odd that so many like fifteen thousand people would be willing to return to England only 28 weeks after a virus annihilated you, the entire population of the country. And they're like, sure, I'll go back. Even if like a very small NATO force was like, yeah, we have like a pretty good system going, but two kids were able to like break out and like escape. And they're not and even just allowed like, to go to their own homes. So they, they I feel like I, they can't go to their own homes. They can't get any of their stuff. Right. So they have to just like go and live in like a random apartment building. I mean, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like Why would ten, you do that? Ten, yeah. Ten, You're safe ten somewhere years ago, else. You're safe somewhere else. Ten years ago, I would have questioned that and been like, that's dumb. That doesn't make sense. But now I feel like that does make sense because we have those people that are willing to die to go to like Fuddruckers and, and reopen. So basically those 15,000 people in that that are willing to go back to like London and everything, that's the reopen America yeah. protest. So what you're saying well, is guess- those those people during the events of 28 days later were out marching when that was happening, saying <laughs> reopen the UK. I guess this is. I guess too the other thing that I was just thinking as I was saying that was like I guess these are the just the survivors too, like yeah. of of the whole thing because the dad he ends up in like this group because he escapes. So you've got a mix of like actual survivors versus like uh, protesters who were storming the gates to be to to reopen the Although country. Although I, I will say that, I that, want that, ice cream. I will say that is a good point. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it, but it's a good point to raise because if they have effectively secured the country 
and they've at least secured London and they've built a perimeter before you brought anyone in, wouldn't your protocol be to like essentially send soldiers out like across, across the country, which is like England is not a huge, like Great Britain is not a huge country compared to a lot of other places. Wouldn't it make sense to like send them out and go like farmhouse by farmhouse. And we're just going to like, kill all yeah. of them. you know what i mean like before you brought anyone back just essentially like do five sweeps where you like because because that mom was in there and nobody knew that because nobody clearly looked right i right. wonder if that was like i i kind of felt like this was an untapped aspect of what the movie could have been but it may have i feel like at to some degree there was there was like a political kind of undercurrent because they make a point of saying it's the American military that is spearheading this whole operation. So, well, it's a NATO operation. I mean, it was right, led by the, but it's, it's, it's led, by, the led Americans. by Americans. Like they, they, uh, like when they, um, at the beginning, when the kids are coming in on the train, the woman kind of, you know, talking over the speaker, giving them like almost like a weird kind of like monorail tour like makes a point of saying like America is responsible for your safety. So it almost felt like there was, there, there, there was an attempt for some kind of, you know, political um, commentary underneath all of this. And that could like, you could maybe kind of explain that, you know, the fact that, Oh, there's, there are these things that were overlooked is part of it, but the movie doesn't really focus on that enough to really make that clear if that is what they were going for. Well, it was released during the height of the Iraq war and England was in the midst of that. And a lot of English people didn't want to, didn't want to be, this was like 2007, I think, right. When this came out. So like, so yeah, I mean, it was full blown at that point. Uh, So yeah, I mean, you could, you could definitely read in some criticisms of, you know, like the United States coming in as a, like a, operational force and stuff but i would agree that yeah they don't like carry it out as a full metaphor and i think i mean i think part of it too is when they when they're just when they when they get the order to just start killing anybody on site there's that part of it as well that definitely shows very american yeah yeah exactly like that (laughs) sort of operational uh discretion um or indiscretion um but yeah no i think and then they I've talked about it for years and years and I really would love for it to happen. But what I love about this series uh, thinking in terms of moving forward is that because of the structure of the, of how they built it, obviously it lends itself to there being a 28 months later or uh, a freaking 28 years later, if you wanted to, or, you know, whatever the case might be. I think there's like a lot of possibility in the series moving forward I would love to see it. I know, I think like recently Danny Boyle was talking about, I've seen more chatter about it recently. I think there's and more movement I, happening, but this was all pre COVID. So, you know, who yeah. knows where it puts that. I uh, kind of circling back to some of the things we talked about earlier. I mean, I would be up for seeing where they would take it. And I know they like, if you read on Wikipedia, they said like they have an idea for it. They know where they would set it. So they have something that they want to do. And they won't tell anyone, you know, they want to keep it held back. But I guess the danger is unless you have a really good idea, at this point, the virus has hit mainland Europe. 
And with right. the fact that they move so fast, they would spread everywhere. So that means the entirety of Europe and Asia eventually, unless it's somehow contained, but I don't like you can contain an island. Uh, I don't know how you could contain Europe, which bleeds into Asia, which also bleeds into Africa if you go the right direction. So I don't know how that would be stopped. And so what you're getting close to is a series very much like the Dead series or a lot of other zombie series where it's effectively a worldwide, you know, out, outbreak. Yeah. And at that point, you're basically like every other zombie movie. So right. I, I don't put it past Danny Boyle or um, the writer Alex Garland, who we haven't mentioned. He's the guy who did Ex Machina. He did Annihilation. He has a new show called Devs. That came and out. He wrote Dread. Oh yeah, he, he did Dread write too. Dread. So like Alex Garland is like a legit talented dude, and so I wouldn't put it past to him and Boyle to come up with an interesting inventive idea. But I would say it's a hurdle because you've essentially set up the end of the last movie to be very similar to where a lot of other zombie movies more or less start. I think yeah, what, that's well. I think the way that you could you could uh, get over that hump is. Give, be, let's say it's 28 months later. Basically, you get to write yourself into the idea that if everything goes to shit that quick, basically, if you look at 28 months later, you could say, all right, well, let's assume there are survivors and let's say they've set up a society to survive all this and that there might even be a fun, say like there's a functional government somewhere still or something like that. I feel like you could just completely bypass the the whole like we're walking around the woods looking for food. And that kind of thing that like The Walking Dead has done for like 12 seasons now and find, and maybe just be like, we're going to skip all that because you've seen it. But like, what if we just said what happens after all that again and, and we go even further and maybe we we, yeah. we look at it from like a societal bigger picture government perspective. Maybe that's like the, the one way you could do it. That's kind of that's what I would like to see. Um, and this, this would be kind of a shift. I think it would be less action and horror focus. But I've always and I think you could do that with do this with the 28 series. I've always wanted to see a zombie movie that's after the actual outbreak and is more of almost like a social political drama like. Because we, we, we've established in 28 weeks later that you have the mom and now the kid who's a carrier, but isn't, isn't showing the symptoms. They're not like enraged. They're not running around trying to kill people. So you have the opportunity to develop like treatments and vaccines and stuff like that. Right. So I would like to see a movie where like you have a vaccine, not necessarily, you don't have a cure at this point, but you have a vaccine the outbreak has more or less been contained, but you still have like infected at various points. And then it becomes a question of, well, what do we do now? Are we just going to go kill all the people who are infected? Do we try to keep them contained? Like we have a vaccine now. Do we see if we can potentially cure them? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and see how society deals with trying to answer those questions. And if not with this series, I would just, I think that's a really cool way to do a zombie movie without the zombie outbreak. Tim, I, I think that's a solid idea, but initially when you started talking about it, I started laughing because all that ran through my head was Mr. Smith goes to zombie Washington. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, 
And, and Shaun of the Dead kind of touched on this at the very end of that movie where, like, you have, like, the jokes, like, as they're flipping through TV where, like, they show, like, the zombie pushing carts in the grocery store parking lot and, like, uh, uh, fucking Chris Martin from Coldplay is on a talk show talking about some kind of foundation or fundraiser to help zombies. And I always thought that was really interesting. Like, once the zombie threat, more or less, has been contained and we're past that what would society do with any leftover zombies so there and how we well i think the rage the rage virus zombies would all be exterminated i think what you'd be looking at is like a vaccine to like stop the spread but i'd be interested in a movie where it was like hey what if there were only like 10 million people left in the world and what would society be like like knowing that the the virus is gone but like you only had 10 million people left what would that look like and how would that shape things? I, I, I don't know. Probably not that excitingly, but I mean, it'd be interesting. Yeah, I feel like there's a reason that most zombie movies focus <laughs> yeah. on the outbreak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, is a, there is a movie from the 2000s that kind of does this. It's not good, but it's called Fido. And it's like set in the, oh, yeah. set in the aftermath of a zombie breakout and like a like there are still zombies, but people are like in these kind of like protected 1950s-esque towns and everyone dresses like it's the 50s. Um, but some kid like basically befriends a zombie and makes it like his dog. Um, and it's played like as like a comedy satire thing. It's not good. And it has one of the most infuriating endings that I've seen in a long time because of what so obviously should have happened and didn't. Uh, but uh, it does kind of play with that idea of like what happens once society tries to rebuild, but it does it through a, co- a okay. comedic lens instead of like a serious one. I yeah, believe yeah. if I'm not my last thought on this, before we get into our, our final thoughts, um, I'll kind of just start it off. Um, I believe actually they're doing like a Rick Grimes specific movie um, on AMC uh, for the walking dead. And I actually think they are doing something that like expands the world and like tries to do what we're saying. Um, If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I've checked out of that series for quite some time. um, And I don't, I don't necessarily have like a ton of hope that it's going to be any good whatsoever, but I think that's kind of the idea they're going for here. So they are, uh, they're taking their main character from the walking dead and spinning him off as their main character for a new show. A real Frazier. He hasn't been been the main character for like two seasons now, right? I I stopped watching watching season two, so I don't know. Yeah. Please do not go any further. I made it to that halfway point of season four before giving – and that was mostly because Breaking Bad was over. And basically the only reason I kept watching Walking Dead for as long as I did was because it was on after Breaking Bad. And then when Breaking Bad ended, I just forgot to tune in for a while. And then when I realized I hadn't watched Walking Dead in a few weeks, I was just kind of like, eh. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I watched it. I, the last season was the first season I had never – I didn't watch. And so I went all the way to the wire almost. And I was so infuriated with like the last five seasons that I just it, it is a colossal waste of time. So, so don't don't. Do I don't it. know if she ever told you, but uh, Taylor, this girl that we worked with, uh, she kept she and her 
boyfriend or fiance at the time uh kept up with the walking dead did she ever tell you this yeah because she never yeah okay about it, yeah. and she like would say like how like she just didn't want to but they were like pot committed so she's like we're seeing yeah. it through to the end but they like hated it every time they watched a new episode that's, that's yeah. the sunk cost fallacy <laughs> in play right there Julie and I, my wife and I, we were all about do- that. We had that exact same mentality. We were like, "This is awful," <laughs> and like we were, we were even watching Fear of the Walking Dead at one, Fear of the Walking Dead at one point. And like, Why? And I, I thought the first season had like a ton going for it, and I was all in. And then like it just became like a retread of the Walking Dead, and so I was like, "Wait a minute, now I'm doing this twice." So it was like, I just if you're listening to this, dissolve yourself from all of it. Stop. <laughs> It's I like not- how I like how this ended into a we hate the Walking Dead. <laughs> well, uh, that'll podcast. be so. I'll segue with that into my final thoughts. Final thoughts on this. I I think if you're a fan of zombie movies in general, these are must watches uh, because, as Linton has said a couple times, there is a ton of crap out there, and these rise above pretty much most of them, uh, if not all. I think Twenty Eight Days Later should be should be watched, especially because it is a classic, and I do think it's like a seminal piece of like 21st century horror filmmaking, because I do think a ton came from this. Um, I think a lot of things use this as an influence and um, it, it comes across like maybe a little, a bit of a relic watching it now, but I think there's still a lot to like about it uh, 28 days later. So I, but I, I do think it's, if you're a horror fan, it's required viewing um, at this point, but um, I think the series as a whole is uh, super solid. Um, yeah, I I think the first one is very good. I I kind of I kind of split like I agree with both of you. Like I agree with Litton about it being overhyped at the time, but I would also agree with like Steve saying it's kind of a, a horror or a zombie classic because it is very well done. Um, I've already talked about how much I love the the climax in the mansion, and it's just a very well put together zombie movie. The second one I'm less positive on just because, like I said, I feel like it starts off really good and it just kind of fails to deliver on the promise of that first half, but it could also have been far, far worse. So I would give a thumbs up to the series as a whole. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I think Steve is right. Uh, it was kind of touched upon earlier, but uh, about like this kicking off uh, zombie resurgence, which I think is definitely true. Like if you look at, when this movie came out and what came out, this was like 2002 and then obviously the sequel. But if you think about the walking dead comics, the walking dead show Romero got to make three more zombie movies when the last one he had made was in 1985. And so he got to make another one for land of the dead, which he had been trying to make for like decades. Um, So he got to do land of the dead in like 2004. I would say it had to have been because of the success of this movie and then all kinds of other, slower or not slower uh like lower level junkier zombie things that have come out um and then you have the resident uh evil uh right resident evil yeah resident evil, yeah. evil series and the dawn of the dead remake uh shawn of, shawn of the dead uh i'm sure you know like uh was probably given some money because of the success of this um but yeah so it's definitely influential it definitely kick-started the zombie renaissance i do think it's still kind of overhyped uh, at the top of all of this, I mentioned that crazy man who believed it was the the equal <laughs> to Citizen Kane. So I just want to make good on that statement in just that I'm not like the biggest fan of Citizen Kane. I think it's very good, but it's not like a favorite movie of mine. 
But I would argue Citizen Kane like did a lot for like cinematography and editing and how you tell a story visually and how you're putting a story together for film. So it really like kicked down the door in a lot of ways. And I feel like the only thing this thing really did was it shot on SD or shot shot on digital, which I remember when the guy was telling me like why he thought it was as influential was that exact fact was that it was shooting on digital. So now going back and watching it now again <laughs> and seeing this looks like dog shit. It's like, yeah. yeah. yeah th- I mean, obviously it was like they were doing things that a lot of other people weren't doing in terms of taking some chances there. But uh, I would say the, the hype I think is kind of somewhat ridiculous. I think there are better and more influential horror movies out there, but as far as zombie movies go, yeah, I'd say it, it's one of the better ones and uh, the sequel is still pretty respectable. Roseblood. Yeah. <laughs> and that we will, we will end on that. <laughs> um, all right. Let's see you guys later. Let's review some films. Let's review some films. Let's review some films.